Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Pastor James. Really excited about sharing God's word with you. If you've uh, only shown up in the last couple weeks or so, I think it was a couple weeks ago, Pastor Paul, the church did the thank you cards for the pastors. I think October was appreciation month. This is it. So the end of October is coming up. So if you haven't appreciated a pastor, you got a few days. Um, but uh, you guys wrote cards and thank yous. I, my wife and I got those and it was just awesome. So thank you so much. Um, we love, as pastors, we're shepherds, we're called to love and to care for the flock, the people of God. And for most of you, that's a beautiful thing. Mark Staggs, I'm not sure. Sometimes that's challenging for us to, you know, love some folks like Peggy. Um, but um, you've been around for a long time and we're so thankful that we have the privilege of shepherding and guiding. Today I want to talk about something that dates really, really, really to like 2,000, almost 2,000 years old. Uh, in the early church days, you know, when you think about the early church, Jesus has come. He's died on the cross. He did all that amazing ministry. He was buried, resurrected, and then he ascended and the church was born. I think we just sang about that. Thanks, Jake, for leading us in that. And uh, at that time, the original New Testament documents, we, we call the New Testament, the Gospels and all those letters of Paul and Peter and John and all those things, they weren't in existence yet. And so the early church, when they gathered together the first day of the week, they didn't read the Bible as we think of it. They read the Old Testament, which was their Jewish Bible, because most of the believers were Jewish, and they made the connection. But as the early church grew, these creeds, these statements, these memorization tools were used to teach brand new believers the facts about what it meant to be a follower of Christ. And so these creeds... A lot of them were developed to fight heresy, but they were created as ways for the church to gather. And when they gathered together, they would, they would say these words together. So I want us to stand right now. And if you're at home, you could do it. I don't know if that'll be a little weird. If you're in a coffee shop, it really will be weird. But stand up and we're going to read out loud one of the earliest creeds. It's called the Apostles' Creed. Now, nobody says this came exactly from the apostles. We're not like Peter wrote this down. What the, the Apostles' Creed is, is the early teaching of the apostles. But it's one of the most famous of all the creeds. And it speaks about the fundamentals of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so churches for, you know, nearly 2,000 years have been reciting the Apostles' Creed. I'd love for us to do that together. So it's on the screen here. Let's do it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we just recited words that believers for nearly 2,000 years have been saying all around the world. 
Sunday after Sunday, they've gathered to stand and say these fundamental words about your amazing love for us, that you did not leave us broken in our sinful condition when we were hurting and when we were lost, when we were gone astray, when we were fighting you, when we were blowing up our lives. You loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to come and to live and to model a life, but to die on the cross for us, to cover our sins to be resurrected, to, be, to ascend, Lord, and now we're the church. Your Holy Spirit has done this, and we just thank you for that. We want to bring you honor in all we do and say. In your name we pray, amen. All right, go ahead and grab a seat. So um, I have a question for you. When you read that aloud, did you hesitate on any word? Raise your hand. What word was that? Catholic, right. You're like, what, are we Roman Catholic now? I thought we were conservative Baptist. Okay, we're Baptist Catholic. We were kind of Baptocostal, to be completely honest with you, some days. But um, what, what, what does that word mean? Well, it's, it's hard for a Protestant and, and someone who comes from the line of, we'll just say Martin Luther, though there were a lot of them, that protested the abuses of the Catholic Church in the 1500s and whatever. But we're not talking about that. This word Catholic is a, an ancient word. And it means the whole, the universal, the gathered. And so in a very real sense, we are all a part of the Catholic Church. Now, you know, obviously as time went on, the Catholic Church took that name in the Roman Catholic Church. And so whenever we use the word Catholic, a lot of Protestants, you know, are afraid of that. And we don't want to read anything Catholic. We don't even know how to hang out with a Catholic. I hung out with a Catholic a couple weeks ago and, and we were having coffee. And he said, hey, do, do you Protestants think we worship Mary? I'm like, hmm, I don't, well... I can't speak for all Protestants because I don't know all Protestants. I'm not authorized to speak for all Protestants, but I don't. You know what I mean? But I do think that there's prayers to Mary, and I would rather just pray to Jesus, you know, because he's the mediator. But, but when you think of the word Catholic, it's easy for us to back up and go, oh, oh, we're not that. We protested that, you know, 500 years ago and broke away from that. But the word Catholic is a good word. It's a beautiful word. And in fact, there's so much of a benefit when we think about that word in relationship to us today. Because we are a little C church. We're, we're, we're you know, I know if, if you look at it, it says Sunrise Church, and I think proper capitalized and all that stuff. But what that means is we're just one of churches of many. There are a lot of churches in Hillsborough, and Washington County, in Oregon, believe it or not, in the Pacific Northwest, and all around the world. We are known as uh, you know, the unchurched belt. Okay, I get that. If you look at the list of most unchurched states, it's Oregon, Washington, Alaska. All right, there you go. And so it's like, whoo, we're in the club. It's like it's not a good club to be a part of. There's a lot of religion, but Jesus, I'm not so sure about him. But the word Catholic means the, the all. And so the universal church and around the world today, I know we're in a time zone, but around the world today, right now, somewhere, churches are gathered all across the world. And that is the Holy Catholic Church, okay? Not, not the Roman Catholic Church, the Holy Catholic Church. And we are a part of that big C church. There are billions of people on the planet. Approximately a third would call themselves followers of Jesus Christ of some stripe. And so we have a lot of people that worship Jesus Christ. And we are connected to them. We are connected. The small church, the little C church, we are connected to the big C church. And these creeds remind us of that. Another one that speaks about this is the Nicene Creed. And it mentions the Holy Catholic Church. So if anybody ever asks you, are you a Catholic? You're like, I don't know. What do you mean by that? Hmm, maybe, you know. No, I'm a part of the church. 
Now, some of you have come from other churches. In fact, many of you have come from other churches. You moved here or you were disgruntled with uh, you know, something that went on or I talked to a couple this morning that they moved and they're looking for another church. And so it can be challenging to find a church that really fits where you are. And, and as long as we're not consumers, I know the reality of you want a church that feels like home. And for so many of you, Sunrise feels like home and it's your church. But let's never think that we are the church. We're just one of many churches. I get the privilege of praying with pastors in Hillsboro. We used to do it once a week. My friend Rich at Calvary Chapel, great man, great church. Um, we would gather together and get these pastors in COVID and now it's at a month. And so just on Friday, I was with a bunch of pastors at uh, East River, Carlos's church, Foursquare Church over there. And we gathered to pray for about an hour. And um, churches of all stripes, but that call Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. And we come together and it's a beautiful thing to be a part of it. In fact, even this morning, and it's been my ritual for years, as I drive to church, as I drive to sunrise on a Sunday morning, I pray. I imagine where all the churches are, and I prayed for Jose today at 26 West. I prayed for Justin at the table. You know, I prayed for Gabe over at Westside off Farmington. I just went through. I prayed for Chris, the new pastor at First Baptist in Hillsborough. I prayed for Dave over at Cornelius and for Rudy and Forest Grove. And even Rudy, that's right. He needs all our prayers. I love Rudy. Um, and we just had breakfast not long ago, and it's just like it's so good to see him. And, you know, and, and I pray for Jay over at Wapato. Jay was with us, and now he's over there. And so we are a part of a bigger church. And, and God forbid that we would ever think that we have it all together because we don't. And just evidence, just get to know me, okay? Get to know Paul. We don't have it all together. Definitely get to know Pastor Keith. He's a mess, all right? No. <laughs> but he's honest, right? We're all honest that we all have work to be done. But that's what makes us a body, God working. And so the reason I bring that up is today I want to talk about that concept, that we are the little C church amongst a big C church world. And as we begin to see ourselves that way, we begin to understand that our little corner of the world, our little pocket of Christianity is connected to something so much broader, which then would bring the question up, and we'll close with this today, what do we do about that individually? What do we do about that corporately? How do we become a blessing to the entire world? So what I want to do is I want to read a passage uh, in Acts chapter 11. It's almost, and I, man, please, no lightning, God. It's almost a throwaway passage. What I mean by that, sometimes you read this thing in the Bible and you're like, well, that's interesting. Probably never preached that. Well, I'm preaching one today. It's a very fascinating few verses that just almost like just says something and you go on. But I don't want to just go on. And, and Paul and I want this. He, he picked this. He said, James, do this. I'm like, great, this is awesome. And I want to share that today. And I want to read it. And you're like, hmm, how are you going to go a sermon out of that one? That'll be interesting. Well, let's see. This is what it says. It says, now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now, Acts chapter 10 is after Acts chapter, Acts chapter 11, excuse me, is after Acts chapter 10. And you're thinking, good, you did go to school. Uh, but some significant things showed up in 9 and 10. The Gentiles are starting to be reached. And then this, the shifting of the leadership of the big church moves from Jerusalem to Antioch up north and to Syria there. And, um, and then there's a lot of persecution on the Jerusalem church and people scatter. And so this is kind of a context of that. This has been about... Some people believe 20 plus years afterwards, 15 years after the beginning of it. And so there's a pressure that uh, the church is being persecuted. Now it says, now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. 
This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now, again, the early church, the church that was born right after the death, burial, and resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, they were primarily Jews focused in Jerusalem. And as they scattered and were persecuted, they pushed their way out and they moved around the known world at the time. And there were apostles and those apostles were the original followers of Jesus that Jesus called to be the apostles. And you could see about the 12 apostles and you could read that in the gospels. Those apostles were there and they were the leaders of the church. They heard directly from Jesus. But then there were prophets that rose up, men and women, God called prophets. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, when Peter gives this amazing sermon and 3,000 people are saved, he quotes Joel and he quotes the Old Testament and he says, this is going to happen. Your, your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. And so prophets rose up to speak messages from the Lord because they didn't have the Bible. You know, you couldn't open up the Bible app, right? You couldn't watch Bible Project videos, you know. You just couldn't pick up your scroll and pull out of your pocket and read it. It didn't exist. And so prophets spoke by the Holy Spirit. The disciples had heard the word directly from Jesus. Now the prophets were hearing it directly from the Holy Spirit. And they would give these messages. Okay, it's important to understand that. But in Ephesians 2, Paul, and this is probably 30 years after the birth of the church. Ephesians 2.20, Paul says that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. But we believe that once the apostles and the prophets died, the big, you know, A apostle and the big P prophets, those, those, those ministries passed away and then the church was built upon that. And so Paul references that. And so then these groups passed away and the reality is, is that there were prophets and you see it in the early book of Acts that walked into a church service and gave a message from the Lord. That would be kind of weird, right? Be kind of freaky a little bit. You know, I mean, if somebody walked in and said, I have a message from the Lord, and you're like, I don't know what to make about that. How would I know it to be true, right? How could I test that? And so there were, there were things that God put in place for that. Some of them spoke in a tongue and all of a sudden they gave a message of the Lord and they decreed it. This one prophet, Agabus, shows up twice in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. This is the first time we see it. And somehow he's there and he comes into the church and he, he proclaims this and he makes this statement that there's going to be a famine and it's going to be a severe famine. And it did happen in the reign of Claudius. And so he tells us that and he shared that. And the church decided to act. A little bit later, towards the end of the book of Acts, he's uh, probably the same Agabus that, you know, tells Paul, hey, be careful because when you go back to Jerusalem, these bad things are going to happen. And Paul goes anyway as a part of God's plan. And so this prophet Agabus uh, came, you know, to the, the church and declared the message. And both of them came true. We saw that. That was a test of the prophet, by the way. If anybody ever comes up and says they're a prophet, just go, well, test it. Because if one of, them, one of the prophecies goes wrong, they're supposed to be killed. I wouldn't advise that today. But a lot of people on Facebook should be silenced, okay? Because there's a lot of false prophets out there. So don't get caught up in that. I've had people in my life that, that they come up to me and they go, I'm a prophet. And I go, no, you're just a jerk. You know, because just, you just want to tell bad messages about people. But a prophet spoke from the Holy Spirit and delivered a message to the body. Because we didn't have the scriptures and now we do. And so the, the reality of this one is this Agabus comes and he shares this. And history tells us this came true. During the reign of Claudius Caesar, there were four severe famines. And one in particular was so severe in Judea that people died because of the poverty. There were crop failures everywhere. 
Think of the Dust Bowl in Oklahoma in the 20s, right, in America, that there was just no way for people to live, and they starved to death. In fact, you can go into the prophet, uh, the, the, uh, the historian Josephus, and he writes about it. So the validity of what the Bible says can be proven over and over again, and here's just another example, a prophecy that was given. And so the universal church stepped in. This is a beautiful picture of where the, the, the little C churches all around the world contributed to become a part of the big C church, the universal church. The big C church came together and served one another. And there's some things I want to talk about. First of all, he gave the message to the church of Antioch, and they were immediately determined to do it. As soon as they heard that there was a need, their hearts were moved. Now, I, I don't know what happens in your heart when you hear a need. When somebody comes up or you, you get a call or you get a message, when one of us stands up, when Pastor Paul stands up and says, hey, there's been this tragedy in Maui and we want to take up an offering. I don't know what happens in your heart, you know. Um, but, but what I believe should happen in our hearts is we should be filled with compassion and, and give as much as we are able because that's what it says. They willingly gave. Now, I know we can't give to everything, right? I mean, you know, things show up on television. Things show up on the Internet. We get letters. How many of you get those invitations to give? I love those invitations to give all the time. You can't give to everything. I understand that. But our hearts should be moved because God has done something in our heart that he wants to use to reach to someone else. The believers could not stop the famine from happening, but they could send relief to those in need. Here's the thing. The believers in Antioch, they understood that they only believed because of the original church. They understood that their faith was intrinsically connected to this church in Jerusalem. And so out of response, they gave and they responded. Now, I recognize that Baptists are, are notoriously independent. Um, the last couple of years now, I've been the executive director of the Conservative Baptists in the Northwest. And, you know, people go, what's it like to have that power? No, nobody says that. Because I have none. I have no authority. I mean, week after week, you know, I go into churches and sit down with elder boards. I meet with groups of pastors. And, and you know, people kind of joke and they call me the bishop or whatever. But I have no power. I mean, I don't have a pen that can write anything of value, right? Um, I, I, I don't have, I can't say I'm in charge of, I'm not the boss of anyone, right? Okay. Because we're so independent. But sometimes we're so fiercely independent, we create walls between our churches. And friends, that should not be. We have like-minded brothers and sisters in churches all around us, just here in Hillsborough, just in Washington County. And we should be worshiping and celebrating with them. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. And the reality is, is that we as a church came into, create, into existence because a mother church, Hillsborough First Baptist, planted us in 1980. And uh, some of you were here. I know, I know some of you were here, you know. And you're on the original charter. I had uh, breakfast with Jack Carmichael. I think he's walk, watching right now. And he missed it a couple weeks, so his name's not on the on the charter, and that's been bugging him for like 40 plus years. Um, but uh, he was a part of it. And there, was a, there were a group of people that said, we want to reach these people that are moving in. Intel had done all of its stuff in the mid-70s and was starting to grow. And a lot of people came in. And, and so anyway, the, the Church of Sunrise was born in that moment. But we were, were intrinsically connected to another church. In fact, that's how it is for all churches. All churches were birthed from another church, right? Maybe not directly, like we planted Nyssa, 
the Hispanic church out there this last year. Um, and so that would be direct. We gave a pastor through um, Israel, our Hispanic congregation. Um, we gave money for that, and that's a direct connection. They're our first granddaughter church. But all of us as believers, we are connected to Jesus Christ. And when a, a planter goes out to plant a church, he came from a local church. And so I would just want you to think through when, when you think about this passage and what we're going to continue talking about, what Paul's going to share about at the end, is that we are one part of such a bigger whole. And what we do matters for other people, even people we'll never meet, because we are a part of the body of Christ on the earth, and it's a huge body. And we have a responsibility to share with brothers and sisters who are in need. I like how Luke puts it. He says, so everyone gave according to his ability. And, um, you know, I, I don't know what that looked like. I don't know what the offering looked like. But, but they reached inside and they gave according to what they were able. It wasn't about a percentage necessarily. It was as the Holy Spirit moved their heart, they gave and they sacrificed. Um, Paul later writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, I think it's on the screen, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. That's good. Decide in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul says that every one of us should make a decision about giving, not because we're forced to do it, not, not because, you know, somebody's putting pressure on us, but because we're giving out of a response of what God has given to us. This Antioch church, they only existed because of the Jerusalem church. And so they said, how could I not give? Because I wouldn't even have believed if it hadn't been for them. And, and, and when needs come up, whether it's Sunday offering or whether it's big projects, you know, we should sit there and go, okay, Lord, I'm only here because of what God did through other people. And we want our money to go to help other people receive this message and be served. Because I'm just one person in a long line of people that have been saved. So we're connected to a bigger, bigger whole. Now, the church in Antioch, they knew this. They came to faith that way. And here's the reality of this gift is it was also a racial reconciliation opportunity. Because, again, think of it, the early church, the first church was Jewish, Jewish only. It was a small subset of the Roman Empire, right? It was a sect. It was a small group. And out of with that, within that, Christianity was born. And we were considered a, a sect of Judaism. And some called us a heretical sect of Judaism, right? And so this whole Gentile word, world looked at the Jews as odd and the Christians inside of that is even more odd and strange. And then the church was born and the church grew out and Paul and different missionaries went out and Gentiles believed in the message. And I got to tell you, there was a huge schism. There was a huge rift in the church when Gentiles started coming to Jesus because Jews had long taught that in order to get to God, you had to go through Moses, right? That's the simple 101 version, okay? And now Paul's saying, no, you don't have to go to Moses before you go to Jesus. You can go right to Jesus to get to God. And that was a struggle for Jewish believers. And the Jewish church struggled with Gentiles coming into their synagogues, right? And all of a sudden there was this tension and Jews and Gentiles, Jews that had always been the people of God are looking at these, these foreigners that worship pagan false gods and did horrific, their behaviors were odd and strange and, and just ungodly. And now they're coming to Jesus and they're sitting with you in synagogue. And it made everybody really uncomfortable. It was a racial issue. And so when the Gentile churches came together, Antioch being one of them, Jews and Gentiles, and they gave to the mother church. That was a message. That was a statement 
that it's not about race keeping us apart. It's about you have a need and we're going to serve you. But it was also a really good statement, right? About we want to cross over racial boundaries and barriers to show our love. When you read the New Testament in context, <clears throat> you discover the Apostle Paul spent more time in his letters talking about Christians giving to other Christians than he did talking about justification by faith, which is kind of a big deal. <laughs> justification by faith, it's the essence of what we believe, right? You add all the words up of Paul. He spoke more about Christians giving to Christians than some of the fundamentals of the faith. Why? Because it was that important. Paul was quick to remind the Christians to remember the poor. And I love this because he said, as I've always been eager to do. I hope you remember the poor. I hope you know people that are poor. I hope you know people that are homeless. I hope you know people that struggle with addiction. I hope you've opened your heart to people that are maybe not in the same position as you are. Many of us are, you know, really comfortable middle class, right? You know, we drove here we, in nice cars. I was out in the parking lot. Yes, I'm really nice cars out there, okay? And nice clothes. Y'all look really sharp, you know? And, um, and we have a lot. We really do. And, and I'm not ashamed of that, right? I don't feel guilty because of that, okay? But that doesn't mean we should hold on to it for ourselves. We should be quick to respond to those that have a need. And when we get to know people that don't have what we have, that opens our heart to them. And we begin to hear their story. I just was talking to a gal in the foyer this morning, and I just, you know, asked her her story. And, and uh, we were talking about some things, and, and she was in prison. And, um, and you know, and she has a, she has a history. And I'm like, guess what? We all have a history, <laughs> okay? I mean, I've been to prison many times, but I get to come out because I visit people in prison, Okay. But I have family members that, my dad was in prison, okay? And so, you know, we shouldn't look down upon people because they're in a different situation. That should move us to compassion for them and say, apart from Christ, man, I'm hopeless. I'm the worst of all, right? And so Paul is going around sharing this message saying, remember those that don't have all that you have. And remember your obligation, because we have an obligation and an opportunity to give to people. Um, this was more than just a financial gift. It was a symbol of unity. I want, I want to read this quote uh, from Moyer Hubbard, a New Testament scholar. It is true that Paul's primary mission was to spread the message of the death and resurrection of the Messiah. That's the gospel, right? That's true. It's equally true, however, that along with being a missionary and a theologian, Paul was a relief worker trying to make a difference in one corner of a poverty-stricken world, Jerusalem. When Paul went around, when he shared the gospel, he also worked and he gave to others. And rarely would he take a gift from someone else. And he, in fact, he proclaimed that again and again. I had the opportunity, I had the right to do it, but I chose not to so you wouldn't misunderstand my motives. Okay, and so I worked instead to do that. Okay, and, and, and he was one who shared the gospel, the message, but he also lived the gospel. We have an opportunity, friends, and we have an obligation as one part of a church. And I would say in a wealthy country, all right, in a very prosperous country, to be able to serve the greater church around the world. God loves a cheerful giver. It's true. And when we give in our offerings, should not be solely used for us, right? We budget money to give to others, budget supporting missionaries. We, ra we radically give at various times to give out our money. It shouldn't just be for us. And churches that only use their money to build themselves, man, I, I struggle with that. When I talk to pastors who have a, a mercy offering or a hospitality kind of offering, benevolence ministry, they might call it, and I go, do you give to others? No, you have to be a member of the church. I'm like, man, I struggle with that. 
Because that's not how the early church worked. They gave away to others that had a need. And every time Paul writes about giving, it's about a gift for others. It's funny. You read all the passages in the New Testament when Paul talks about the offering. It's not about the Sunday morning offering that comes to the church. Okay? I believe you should be a part of that. Thank you very much. My family's been a part of it for years. That's what enables us to do all this, and it's great. But Paul writes about the offering because throughout his writings, he's talking about the need that's in Judea and Jerusalem. And Paul was one who gave. In, in Romans 15, verses 25 to 27, Paul writes this. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. <clears throat> That's beautiful. They owe it to them. For the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings. They ought also to be of service to them and their material blessings. This is what Paul's saying. Hey, they only came to faith because of the Jews in Jerusalem. They owe it to them. I mean, literally, they owe it to them, right? But that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity. It's also an obligation to give and to share our wealth. And again, hear me. This is not about politics. This is not about equal whatever. This is not about people feeling guilty about what they've got. This is not about, you know, distribution of wealth in, in the secular sense. But it is about God helping you redistribute some of your wealth to help other people in need. And, and you should be willing for God to speak to your heart to do that. And when you look at what you have and you look at your savings and you look at all this and you've acquired this and you look at your budget, let me even say that, you look at your budget, how much of your budget is set aside for giving out, whether supporting missionaries, the church does it, right? Tithing, giving, 10%, we do it, right? Um, it's, it's a beautiful part, but what else is in your budget that is allowed by the Holy Spirit to be freely given when there's a move of God's spirit in your heart. And if you haven't created that margin, I think you're missing out on the beauty of being a little C Christian amongst bigger C Christians all around the world. And you think about only your own family and your own need. We should have a theology of generosity. Stewardship is a critical component of discipleship, friends. And if you don't give, then you don't understand that God so loved the world that he gave. You are only here because God stepped out of heaven to give his only begotten son, right? That when he was rich, he became poor for our sake. So we who were poor could become rich spiritually. And we have a beautiful opportunity to do that. And I just want to read a list of ways. This is, this is cool. I just sat down this week and I started recounting in my head. And I'm going to be 59 next month, so I don't remember everything. Let me be honest with you. Disaster relief trips. Do you know that um, we've given money to the needs of believers all around the world and around the United States? In 2004, the Indian uh, Ocean Tsunami, we gave a tremendous offering to serve the church over in Banda Aceh. Uh, Hurricane Katrina in 2005, we, we took an offering. We got $30,000. Our church was pretty small then. $30,000 that enables us to do five trips to Slidell, Louisiana, New Orleans, and do ministry there. The Haiti earthquake in 2010, we sent four different teams there to work with the church and help rebuild a hospital. Hurricane Sandy in 2012, we did two trips. Hurricane Harvey in 2017, we did four trips. And each time we gave and planted ourselves in local churches who had boots on the ground opportunity, and we served through them. We trained pastors. Uh, we were given uh, year after year in our budget and our offering and opportunities, extra offerings to serve pastors and train pastors. We've been in Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, Rwanda, Burundi, DR Congo, and Cuba. 
I, I myself, I, I recounted, I looked at my list, 25 different times, different groups I should say, that I had the opportunity to train pastors, all because we give in the offering and special projects. Mexico house buildings, I don't know if you've been to our um, ministry site down, down there in Tijuana, but our own, one of our own chair boards and his wife, uh, the Patchens, they moved down there and we began serving, we began giving, and we have gone since 1996, when I was a youth pastor here, we've gone 27, 28 times to build homes. And we just do it through a local church. And the local church, Ramon and Katrina down there, they say, here's the family that needs. And we go and bless the family and the church is blessed. And we give a house away. It's a beautiful thing. In fact, our team just got back from that. Easter offerings, and I, I can't even remember all of them, but we started by giving $95,000 to Burundi and students who were refugees in Rwanda in camps. And they moved into, uh, into this Kayonza area of central Rwanda and they went to a boarding school and they got room and board, Jesus and education. And they graduated, many of those, I got to meet about 40 of them. And many of them graduated first in class. And I don't mean first in class at their school, first in class in the nation. African New Life has the best schools in the entire nation. Um, we gave over $100,000 to help finish the hospital in Rwanda with African New Life. We gave $50,000 to support the churches in Cuba. We gave to the arms ministry, um, recovery ministry two years ago, significant gift. Um, we gave to our, you know, our Nissa church plant. Medical trips, we, spent, we sent doctors and nurses. Some of you have gone to Rwanda with African New Life. We did four different trips of medical relief. And then uh, our church in Forest Grove, uh, Pastor Rudy Old Town, they picked up and they did a couple down there. And our first trip alone, they saw 600 patients, mostly women and children. And 100 people came to Christ because they did open air preaching. Gunnar Simonson was a part of that. And, and just people came to Christ. We served the church. Fire relief. And the, the, the fire over Labor Day in 2020, if you remember that, man, there was smoke even in this room, okay? And there was dust everywhere. We participated with other churches, $125,000. In fact, we gave to various churches that had needs. We were in Lincoln City. Brent went over with the van and we bought bunches of stuff at Costco and drove over and helped people. My wife and I later on, a couple months later, we were able to go over and give a check. And we were able to sit with a couple, a husband and wife who had been evacuated from their home at like two or three in the morning. And when they went the next morning, everything was burned to the ground, including his new pickup truck. Everything was melted. They had nothing left. And that church was giving a gift to them that came from other churches. Worship and preaching, man, time and time again, we have sent our worship team and members out. By the way, Pastor Aaron is in Walla Walla, Washington right now, leading worship at one of his friends' church. We freely give away. Terry Magison would tell you the stories of going to smaller churches and sending out worship teams. I was over at Wapato last week and somebody said, hey, Angel, we're, we're going to steal your bass player for a month. I'm like, great, Angel's awesome. Steal him. He's amazing. He'll lift up your whole service. I got to preach for Jay, Pastor Jay, who was here and then is the senior pastor at last week. He had a heart attack. He's doing well and things are recovering. Uh, Pastor Jacob went over and preached twice over there. Uh, I went to Pastor Dave over at Cornelius in our community Baptist church there and I was able to preach for him. Um, he lost his son. He and his wife Sherry lost their son, adult son, to fentanyl overdose. And you know what? I just said, Dave, let me preach. And I preached a message to Dave and Sherry for the whole congregation. And you would have loved it. My wife and I led four hymns. It was great on a 12-string guitar. It was fun. We just wanted to serve the church, right? Two months ago, I preached at our mother church, Hillsborough First Baptist, before they got their brand new pastor, Pastor Chris Short. It's exciting. New Hillsborough churches, every time a new church showed up, a planter showed up, we blessed them. 
And I just recount stories of Paul at Westport. That's where Pastor Shane ended up being a pastor at. Luke at Resound, Jose at 26 West, Justin at the table. Every time a new pastor came in, we said, hey, we believe in the church. And we're not in competition. We're one church because we have an abundance mentality, not a scarcity mentality. It's not our little church to hold on to. It's, it's God's church to give away. And we brought them up here. We prayed for them. We, we gave money to support them. We even, I even encouraged you. I said, hey, if you're more connected to that, then you probably should go there and that's a good thing um in fact light my way our ministry that started here in 2000 between 2002 2004 when it really launched and we ended up launching a ministry out of that called paid in full oregon my wife and i were at the zoo at a banquet last night to raise a half a million dollars so that a hundred students who are in osci down in salem in a prison who, who have a long time before they get out can have a four-year Bible college degree from Corbin University. And this spring, this next June 28th, 25 graduates, they'll graduate with a four-year Bible degree. Now, they don't get out of prison. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. They have to be at least four more years in because the prison, the, the organization, the system, the DOC here in Oregon is going to intentionally send them to another prison to replicate that. By the way, this is Oregon, okay? You really, this is great. We have a Bible college in an Oregon penitentiary. We've received, not only have we given friends, we've received. I don't know if you know this, but our own Heather Brown was a gift from Milwaukee First Baptist Church, which I've been trying to return, but they have a no return policy. And um, I needed a receipt, and I wasn't here back then, but her and Dennis were at Milwaukee First Baptist, and they heard the call that the conservative Baptists were starting a new church in Hillsboro. Some of you need to move there, and they did. And, and we've been blessed because of that. I mean, we've received so much. Um, First Baptist planted us in 1980, gave us an original property. In 1981, Men's Roundup gave us about $30,000 to build our first building. Um, and Craftsmen for Christ, an organization of retired men and women would come in motorhomes and they helped to build all that. We are a part of something larger. Let's never forget that. And the reality is, and I want to just close with this, will you, a little C church, a little C Christian, will we, this little C place, I know it's big, it's Sunrise is a big church, I get it, but we're just one church among many. Will you as a little C Christian make a connection to the big C church and give away? We need to pray for other churches. If you live in a community in Hillsboro, you have a church near you, I guarantee it. <laughs> it may be dead, <laughs> it may be empty, but would you wander over there one day and knock on the door and say, how can we pray for you? Could you prayer walk around it? Could you get to know him? Oh, we're not asking you to go there. We're just saying, maybe if God moves your heart, but we're just saying that Sunrise Church isn't the church, all right? I get embarrassed when I hear things about Sunrise Church, and it's like, we're just one among many. When you hear a need, when you see a need, when the Holy Spirit moves your heart, will you just say, of course, God, because after all, look what you've given to me. And you would give, not reluctantly, not under pressure, but you would give cheerfully. Because you have received, you were once poor, and now you're rich, and now you can give to others. So I just want to pray, thanking you for being that church. And let's never stop being that church, because opportunities will show up when you least expect it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the way you have given to us. I mean, you say it clearly, that you loved us so much that you gave your only son, that we might have life. And so you're a giver. You're the best giver. You're the first giver. And in response to that, we need to be generous givers. Not giving because we're forced to. Not giving because we have to do something to measure up internally or externally. 
but just simply because we're a part of something that's stretched already for 2,000 years. And however long before you come back, we want to be a long line of people who radically gave because you radically gave. We want to be people in a community that are willing to get up and cross the ocean to serve. People we've never met before, we'll probably never see again because the church needs to be strengthened. Maybe we give money, maybe we go. May we do both, Lord, as we recognize we are just one amongst so many that we can't even count it. God, as we come to this time of worship, we thank you for the cross because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And through our giving, uh, racial reconciliation can be had. Through our giving, people that are living in poverty and brokenness can receive healing and finances. Through the cross, all people can come to you. And so we receive this time of prayer and our offering and the Lord's table as a reminder that we are part of something big because you loved and you gave. We pray in your name. Amen.